0: Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Susan Lyon, welcome to the podcast. Hello.
1: Like, oh my you look so professional. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Have you not seen the podcast? Come on.
2: <laughs> I've seen, I a, a little bit, but I mean you like you you just
0: look like you should be on like CBS or something. <laughs> yes. Well, as long as I look the part, because obviously I'm not acting the part because I kept screwing things up with us over the I past month. Yeah, so just, sorry about that.
1: Yeah.
0: I figured out what I did, by the way. So I said, are we on for one tomorrow? I had actually thought one was my time, correct? And then it was your time, three, and then I flipped it again. I don't know what I'm thinking. Okay. Anyway, I'm glad you're here. You made it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's good to have you. And uh, man, I'm so excited about the great news that we're going to be painting together at the Porch Site yeah. of America conference next year
2: it made me nervous when kim called i was like i had things start spinning minds like okay i have to start practicing
0: <laughs> oh are you kidding me you're gonna I'll wipe just, the floor with me
2: plus do i have so i was, you know the very first thought was okay okay all right all right you know i have a lot of time to practice but also just try thinking about doing something different you know like not yeah just we got to talk
0: more about that or,
2: a little bit more exciting because there are so many demos there and so you kind of yeah. want to make it be a demo that people have to see
0: yeah we'll figure it out i mean it'll be awesome i'm 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 really excited about it i was thrilled when she when you told me that but they didn't even bother to ask me they just they just asked you <laughs> and then i called them up and i'm like is this true is this rumor true and they're like oh yeah yeah Yeah. She said she would do it. I'm like, okay, well, thanks for letting me know. Are you doing the face off too?
2: Well, I, yeah, they kind of, they kind of got me to do that. I have said no to it a few times because I find it pretty stressful, but I am going to change my perspective. So, you know, when you're, yeah, everybody is different. Like you or my husband, Scott or some other people when they're doing demos, so it's nothing. I mean, they wouldn't even think about it. Right. It's like nothing. But for me, it's a little bit of like mind preparation and it's OK, what would I do that? I don't have a meltdown. Um, I've gotten better over the years, but um, I'm going to I'm determined to have fun. And I am determined to literally talk to people because, you know, during the face off, people are so serious. A lot of people wear headphones or they're just, yeah, you know, that's what I do. I, well, I'm not going to do that. Are you I serious? am going to miss congeniality. I am going to say hi to people. I'm, gonna I'm going to talk. While you're painting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let me get this straight. So you're going to figure out a way to not be nervous. And right. in the same year, you're going to make an effort to talk while painting.
2: Well, these I are, actually don't
0: have These are opposing problems. forces. I don't know if you realize that, but...
2: Well, I also feel that life's too short. And too many times when you do these public things, there's, like, too much fear bent, bent up before yeah. you do it. And all this fear of being compared to the person next to you, like, you don't... Because, white memory, we, like, get picked out of a hat. So we don't get to choose who we paint, mm-hmm. where we stand. We don't get to choose who we're standing next to. So I'm just determined that, no, I'm going to have much more fun because... I really think that those Thursday nights are really all just it's a everyone's so excited. It's the first night. I mean, there's such good electricity. Um I don't think I'm not gonna work. my point is I'm not gonna worry about whatever the outcome is. I think that the happier I'll be, my outcome will be will reflect it. So that's yeah. what I'm <laughs> that's what I'm gonna say.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of resolved that no matter how bad mine turns out, I still wake up in the morning so I don't let it get to me too much. (laughs) I used to, the first time I did a demo, it wasn't even anything like the Porch Society, it was just in my studio. I sent out, this was before social media or anything, and I sent out an email to everyone I could think of and said, hey, tell all your friends, I'm gonna do a demonstration at my studio for 10 bucks or something a person. And uh, I mean, I was right out of college. I was, it took me eight hours because I was so nervous And I kid you not, I was like literally like this with the brush. I was shaking. It was all I could do to even make a brush stroke. I was shaking so bad the entire eight hours. And the whole time, And what happens is it compounds because you're nervous. And then you get worried that they see that you're nervous. So you get more nervous. And then it just kind of (laughs) builds and builds. (laughs) But yeah, I'm I'm not that way anymore. Thank goodness. But man, the first time.
2: I actually was asked this um, two days ago, like, how do you get over stage fright? How do you get over? And I mean, first of all, it is just doing it many times and living through it. Like you said, right? Right. You wake up day, you live through it. You're not going to die. And I think in general, people are rooting for you. And also they don't see your work the way you see it. You know, they, they actually are pretty, anything is, can be impressive just from nothing To something. And and I'm just impressed that your very first demo, you're like, you were willing to put yourself through torture that long. It wasn't just like a two hour demo. Oh, no. It was just (laughs)
0: me trying to save face, is all I was doing. It had nothing to do with willingness. It was like, oh, I can't bomb this thing. Everyone sat there for eight hours. Can you believe that? I think they thought they were being held prisoner, though. There's no way of telling for sure. (laughs) I don't know if anyone realized they could leave, but. Exactly, (laughs) right? That was brutal. Yeah. That's so fun. what about Scott? Is he doing anything?
2: Well, he, um, so I guess you see like these packages. He has a whole bunch of packages we're going to be shipped off. He's he's shipping a bunch of stuff off for a show in Oklahoma in October. Now, next year, you know, the good thing about Scott's and my relationship is that in general, whatever he does, I do, and whatever I do, he does. And so for, um I mean, we've been together since I was 19. So for probably like the first 16, 17 years of our relationship, I was the support system. So I would like follow him to workshops and I would be the one setting up the model and, you know, helping everyone get organized and bringing him lunch, you know, I was being the good wife. And then there was a turning point somewhere around being 36, 37, where I was just like, "I I have to start saying yes to opportunities I have to get over that fear of like putting myself out there and not just being Scott's wife. So, um and it's take, you know, and it's obviously it's been I'm 53. So, it's it's like a long time of me like getting used to like putting myself out there teaching. And so slowly, um now he just travels with me and is my support system when I teach. And so he doesn't yeah. really do workshops Per se, he just paints along with my workshop. So I always say, "You get two for one."
0: Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and now, <laughs> and now the whole world sees Scott Burdick as Susan Lyon's husband. Exactly. Yeah. yeah no, he's <laughs> I'm just <I> kidding. <laughs> yeah, just, just tell him I'm kidding. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah. Well, as far as the the uh, face off goes, there is no way that you should be nervous because everything you do is just gorgeous. I got to show you. The, oh, no. i got to show the audience this. Here. Oh. <laughs> do, you this? do you remember this? Do you remember this? I'm
2: scared. Oh, yes. I do remember that. Oh my gosh. And you put a frame on it. That's yeah. So, heck so yeah. Cool.
0: It's in my studio. So. I keep that here as something to aspire to. It's such oh, okay. a. Now and you were so generous. Topic. You're so generous. You gave it to me for like a couple hundred bucks. It was, it was a real, it's a, it was it's a treat amazing. to have.
2: Wanted it. I appreciate oh, I love it! it.
0: I love thank it. You. Look at it every day. So, thank you for that. But most of all, thanks for being on the podcast. It's so it's going to be fun to talk more because obviously we know each other, but we never really had a chance other than that one time at dinner. We've never really had a chance to sit down and talk much. So, so I'm looking forward to this. And I want to know your backstory. You kind of already told me a little bit that you helped support Scott for so many years. I had no idea. I've only known you as rock star painter, Susan Lyon. That's, that's ever since I've known you, you've been that. So tell me a little bit about your path, even before 19 and marrying Scott, tell me how you ended up even having the desire or when you had ended up having desire to become an artist.
2: Um, okay. So I grew up just outside Chicago and, um, I didn't want to, I didn't know about being an artist. I was not one of those talented people. Um, my dad had gone.
0: That can't be true. You had no natural talent.
2: No, actually I still find drawing very difficult. And I think that's why, I don't know. I think that's why I really love teaching. I think that's why I felt that there was a turning point to where I was like, I have found kind of my purpose that I love teaching and I love teaching beginners and I love like this whole idea of like saying the things that I wish I- had been said to me I mean I did go to an art school so how this all worked out was in high school I would say I don't know like somewhere around the summer before my senior year I saw a program on George O'Keefe and and I mean her work is beautiful and it's and all that but I it was more like her life. It was more an artist's life. The fact that she did what she wanted to do, she expressed herself. There was something so just uniquely different and amazing about her. And I guess I just craved that. I really craved a life of being unique. And, and so I took some Saturday classes at the um, Art Institute of Chicago. And it was like for high school students and they didn't teach you anything though but it was just really really fun to go to the same classes you mean the the rooms that like the college students went to and and being able to go behind the scenes of the music and so that was fun but I didn't know what I was I didn't have good grades I was kind of like one of those people that like was a floater like I didn't know what I wanted to do and and Honest to God, after I graduated high school, I still really didn't know what I wanted to do. I had this, like, this little tiny thought, oh, maybe the artist of Chicago, but honestly, you had to have good grades to get in there, and it was, like, one of those schools that, like, made you do history and math, and and it just, I don't think that was in the cards for me, because I was never, like, an um, academic or a book, book learner, so... One day, my dad literally, I have a vision. You know how these important moments in your life, they're seared into your brain? And so I remember vividly being upstairs and my dad coming home and like walking upstairs and saying, oh, I signed you up for summer courses at the American Academy of Art. And I'd never heard of it. And so I was like, oh, okay. And the only reason why all this happened was because he happened to know a teacher that taught, um, like advertising or commercial art or something there. It was a very small associate's degree school. They had like back then, they don't have it anymore, but like commercial arts, illustration, they had a very small fine art department, um, watercolor, you know, that type of stuff. But it was really only like a two or three year school. There was no academics at all. And, um, and I just remember him signing me up for it. And I was like, petrified but i'm like okay so for okay, like but
0: what, why would your father sign you up for an art school when you don't even have any talent
2: because i did, I think maybe you're scared for my future but also i had been going to saturday classes at the art institute yeah but still
0: yeah. i mean my parents i did oh. i did i think you did have natural talent i think you're being humble but i'm gonna just i'm gonna take your word for it assume you didn't i what i did have natural talent And my parents were like, no, you're not going to art school. You're this is that's, you know, there's no way artists is not a real career. You got to get a job, blah, 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 blah.
2: (laughs) I don't think I I showed any other promise. Well, okay, so (laughs) I did not have any talent. In fact, when I thought I was going to go to the school, then I thought, I mean, I'm old, right? So when I first started, they still had key line pay stuff. They still it was phasing out, but they still had that whole thing of like, working for magazines, you know, like doing kind of graphic-y stuff. And that's kind of what I thought I would do. And I would just go to the school, hopefully learn that. I could still live at home. So, I mean, we lived close enough, so I could live at home, just take the train and go to um, the American Academy. And, um, you know, so, but it was apparent, like when I first started doing summer classes, they had to do fundamentals. And the school was based on that book, creative illustration um andrew loomis mm-hmm. if, i'm sure you know.
0: of course yeah. so
2: andrew loomis had taught there like in the 40s 30s wow. 40s. so it was this whole school was kind of based on this book so each chapter in fundamentals you would, it would be a month and then another chapter another month and um so you'd have fundamentals in the morning and then the afternoon you'd have life drawing and my fundamentals teacher just wasn't the friendliest. He just was one of those guys that, you know, someone like me, I can see it. I mean, I can see a little ridiculous young blonde girl coming in, not knowing anything. I mean, maybe you wouldn't spend much time trying to like help her out. And then life drawing was this grandfather kind of Mr. Rogers teacher that was just, you know, you just gravitated towards because of his gentle energy and and so within two weeks I was like I want to be a fine artist not having any you know talent or understanding I also was privileged in a way that I didn't have to work so I mean I could live at home I could take the L into school I didn't have those stresses of like you know having to have a job at night and like you know just support myself so um So I had, you know, I had this. So I started in fine art, but, you know, Mr. Parks, all he would talk about was Richard Schmidt and Scott Burdick and Daniel Mm. Sikusik and Rose Franson and Romel de la Torre. And so there was this group of artists and, you know, Clayton Beck. There was this group of artists that painted together and would have shows together around Chicago. And it was this dream. I mean, it was like, holy cow, these golden people that somehow like are doing this dreamlike thing of like doing art and selling it. So, but I mean, I was like literally like just in school and, and but I would go to their shows.
0: So, but just, just um, to put in perspective, for those who don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but most of these artists were only in their twenties when they're talking about yeah, it, right? I mean, so these aren't seasoned uh, artists. They must've just yeah. been young, young and on their way and
2: Well, Richard was this, like, mentor. Well, he was
0: old, obviously, but, yeah.
2: He was was actually older than me now. He was probably, yeah, he was in his early to mid-50s when he first met them. Right. And Scott was probably nineteen twenty when he first met him. And Rose and Dan were maybe just a few years older than Scott. And Nancy was in her 30s. But she was just getting kind of into art, so she was still new. And, um they all just hang on together, especially Scott and Nancy were just like best friends for like five years, just going to school and painting and going to the chisel and they met Richard and then they would just paint with him. And because of him, because he had this life of being able to sell and go into galleries, he took them under his wing, which is like a miracle. I mean, really it is, especially back then. So this is like the late eighties and we're, you know, selling art is know something that you know before the internet like how do you even do it where are galleries what's happening and he would introduce them to galleries that he was in and and people would come do magazine articles on him and then because of that he would introduce the magazine magazines to these young artists and so i mean it was such a i mean i think back and i was like such a gift you know and um So when I was in school, I just you know I heard about them because they all painted at this art club, which is about just two miles from the school, and and um, I would go to their openings. And I how it really all started was because I'd gone to some of their openings, and I told my dad, I said, you know, you should buy a Scott Burdick painting because he's going to be famous. And (laughs) I love this story. That's a fun story. And so he, uh, because what it, you know, he he loved art. He you know, he liked art and he would even come and buy stuff from my teacher. So like Irving Shapiro was a very kind of well-known watercolorist and was the president of the school and I mean, I remember Irving doing a demo and I'm saying, "Dad, you should buy that demo." You know, so he uh, he was buying things, but these things were all inexpensive. I mean, they're not like thousands of dollars or hundreds of dollars. So um when I said, you got to buy Scott Burdick, he went to the Pal and Chisel for some Christmas show and gave me this painting for Christmas. And we still have it. And it's a story we show in our living room. every. I go, this is the painting that I got. And so...
0: Wait, so Scott ended up getting it back by marrying you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of his master plan.
2: That's so funny. I'm like, he would, he would take it down if it was up to him. But I'm like, no, we have to keep it up. And... And so I was in school and I was such a beginner, but there was this really pretty girl who was a student also, and her name was Jodi. And she was talking about the fact that she was posing at the palette and chisel, you know, just portrait stuff, but she was posing there. And of course, like my antenna went up. I'm like, how do you get to do that? Like how do you get to pose at the palette and chisel and meet these people? And she said, why don't you just show up one day while I'm posing and I'll introduce you. And I mean, it was such a big deal. I got all dressed up and my parents drove me down. You curled my hair and wore fancy clothes. And and I was so nervous to watch. So the Palette and Chisel is an old um, brownstone in Chicago. And um it's in the Gold Coast. So it's it's like a, you know, a building that's uh, historical, you know, and so it has gallery stuff on the first floor and then second floor, like studios. And the third floor is this like ballroom that is turned into a uh, art studio. And um, I just remember walking up there and I remember my heart beating. And I just, I was like, in a way, I kind of felt like my spirit knew my life was going to change forever. I mean, like I could, I could feel the tingling of like, Something exciting is about to happen. No to you.
0: way. So, That's awesome.
2: I, I, mean, I think We all sometimes know that in retrospect, when you really know that like all of a sudden your life is going to change. Mm-hmm. And the moment I walk up there on break and I see Jody, my friend, and she comes and I come up to her and I, she introduces me to Scott. Scott was the monitor. And the first thing out of his mouth was, Oh, you should poach for us. And I'm this like nineteen, completely immature girl. I just started to like, scream. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes. I, was like yeah. and "I said, um, I have one of your paintings. Oh my god!" And so you know, it was just too goofy. And um, and so he went and got me signed up on the calendar. And I was so sad that it wasn't like tomorrow. Like, can I post tomorrow? But um, and so anyway, so it was funny because Scott went up to Nancy after I had gone back downstairs. And he said, oh, that girl that was just up here, she's going to post for us. And Nancy said to Scott, oh, you mean that girl? So he tells everyone that. That's the first thing she said. Wait a minute, wait.
0: You have to say that out loud because no one can hear it.
2: Because she talks very quiet. And she goes, oh, that girl that you're going to fall in love with and marry. Yeah.
0: That is gold. Yeah, you got to remember it's a podcast, so we got to be able to hear it.
2: (laughs) She she mouthed
0: it out for the audience. She mouthed it out. That is gold. So do you think that uh, she sensed that he had a crush on you, or do you think she planted a seed? Uh,
2: I think that possibly, you know, maybe... It would be funny to be an adult and see us meeting for the first time or when any, you know, two people and probably because I started to like just screech. I mean, I literally probably everyone just looked, you know, like what is going on? Who's that? And um me just being so happy and then Scott just being happy that I was going to pose and then me telling him I had his painting. So he probably lit up. And so I bet you if people were witnessing it, it probably would be ridiculous and probably want to gag. So oh, yeah. I'm sure it was obvious.
0: <laughs> but wasn't Scott was uh, in his early 20s, you said, at the time?
2: Yeah, so I was 19 and he was 21, just a couple months before oh, 20, yeah. turning
0: He's probably like, this adorable girl thinks I'm awesome. He's probably on cloud nine.
2: I know, right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm idol worshiping you. Yeah. Yay. Like, i one of your paintings. You're so, you're so perfect. You know? yeah.
0: but, <laughs> Every guy's dream. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah. That's a great story. Oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. So then what? So then you posed, <laughs> how did that lead to you becoming more oh, involved okay. in the art community?
2: Well, I mean, I posed and then Scott and I just started to talk on break and we realized that we actually lived very close to each other. He had an apartment just a mile from my parents. So it just was odd because I don't know, like a city, like picture New York, right? Picture Chicago and an art club. People live anywhere from an hour to two hours away.
1: So it's
2: like, you could live ten minutes away, you could live an hour away, and it's all sides. So when we were talking and we were like, Oh, well, I live in Oak Park. Oh, well, I live in Oak Park. Oh, I live here. Oh, I live there. Oh, I go there all the time. And so it was just sort of okay, like
0: Okay, this... Susan, I hate to break it to you, but have you really checked your facts? Are you sure he didn't move after he met you to no. Oak Park?
2: No, he had lived he had
0: an <laughs> apartment. I parents don't
2: tease it. slightly north. I mean, just not far enough. But he went up got an apartment because he was very successful even in school. So, yeah. you know, I mean, he was a hard worker. He, he needed, he support himself. He got a scholarship and he had to pay his way through school. And, um, you know, he took every job that was on the job board. He did every commission and he painted like morning till night. So he was a very, very hard worker. So, um, and I joke that he like, That he like was false advertising. (laughs) You know, when I first met him, I'm like, oh my god, this guy all the time and he's just gonna make so much money. And then I'm like, Scott, why aren't you like make some money? (laughs) Go make some money. You know, come on, remember there's money to be made. And so it's a joke, but it's like, you know, he's so hungry in the beginning. (laughs)
0: That's (laughs) funny. Yeah, that happens with you with age. (laughs) Okay, so you started dating him and then uh is there anything in between there and you being as you put it the supportive wife for 17 years i mean how did you transition from that to becoming the susan Lyon we all know and whose work we follow
2: oh well i mean honestly probably from our first time we met to our first date a couple weeks later we were like inseparable he was my first boyfriend and we moved in a couple years later and then because of him, which was because of Richard, like, I mean, I did not make a lot of money at all, but I was at least able to do very, you know, simple little paintings, simple little drawings and sell them for very little. And I would just sell them at the same shows or galleries that Scott was in. So um, we just, you know, we're just, we were just working artists trying to make money every month to pay the rent and it was just month by month. and. You know, Scott would do commissions, but um, but Scott would do workshops. So, you know, as an artist, workshops were always helpful to him. So that's, you know, where I would help him out. Or um, But we moved. So, you know, we lived in Chicago in apartments for about five years. And then we moved down to North Carolina because, you know, we just didn't want to have that much overhead. And we wanted to be able to travel. I think probably the one thing that Scott and I have in common is the fact that we have – travel less. You know we Mm -hmm. we like want to like travel and see other cultures and we are figurative people. We're figurative painters. So the idea of painting people that don't look like us well is probably more exciting to us. You know, like like we'll seek that out. So we needed to live in a place that was less expensive. That we didn't have to worry about like, OK, oh, my gosh, well, are we going to sell a painting this month? You know, we want we needed to have it be much lower. So we moved to North Carolina, honestly, just because I heard on the radio that North Carolina was a good place to retire. <laughs> this is me at like 25, 26. I'm like, I had no idea, you know, about North Carolina at all. But we um, took a trip down here, drove around, looked for different towns and. um finally found Winston-Salem, and, um, you know, it's really, you wonder how life guides you, you know, it was like me listening to this radio program, and then once we came down here, it was the realtor who just wouldn't give up and just kept sending us things, and I just think, I'm always trying to think of it from someone else's perspective, so I'm 25, 26, and we're coming down, and like, oh, we want to buy a house, you know, like and that someone took us seriously and that this realtor like whined and dined us. I mean, I don't even drink, but you know, just took us around to restaurants and showed us everything and and we didn't find anything on the first one around. But then when we went back to Chicago, he kept sending us stuff. I thought, Oh my god, at my age now, like, could you imagine being that like much of a person to pursue like a silly girl who lives in Chicago is 25 that would actually buy a house from you but he kept sending us stuff and then we decided to come back down and and you know and then we found out Maya Angelou had lived here in this town and I loved Maya Angelou and then we found out that the realtor once I told him that I said well you know I've always loved Maya Angelou and we found out that she lives here so I thought well if she can live here I can live here and he goes well you know Maya Angelou bought my childhood home and it's like you know how I mean how life does this to you that's insane so you go okay you know i mean it was like oh i guess and this is the place that we should move to
0: holy cow anybody. yeah that's wild yeah you were, it seems like your life was uh guided on some level
2: i mean you see it and when you look back sometimes yeah and uh because i mean in life nothing is ever linear right you know nothing just keeps going up so I mean, there's lots of ups and downs in art, for sure. And, hmm. you know, so, like, I was joking even about, like, you know, Scott, like, when I first saw him, he just seemed to be so successful and so just, like, you know, on the rise. But then, you know, life happens. Like, you you go through different things and, you know, ups and downs, things you have to hurdle over, you know, and stuff. And and um, it's just, you know, keeping persevering and like just keeping the path just every day, just getting up and like doing art and just, and not letting things that go wrong, like get you down because being gallery artists is nothing is ever was, you know, set in stone. So you could, you know, you could never sell another painting again. You, the gallery that was selling for you might not be in business tomorrow because that gallery you know the person sold it or maybe they had a divorce or this or that happens and so you're always having to like reinvent yourself you're always having to like figure out well what do i do next how do i keep this going like what makes me happy and and you know how do you know this
0: yeah yeah i mean you're in on some level you know i've thought a lot about this i've got a whole list of married artists you know, uh, couples who are both artists. That eventually, I want to do a series where I get people like you and Scott on together. I think that'd be really interesting to talk about your stories. But it's um, I've always been curious about it because I'm not married to an artist, mm-hmm. and um, mo- and uh, I feel for my spouse because I think artists can be really hard to live with. <laughs> And one of the things that makes me difficult to live with is that the, that constant feeling that you just described, that you constantly have to be ahead of it and reinventing yourself mm-hmm. because it feels like, uh, and maybe I'm pushing this a little further than you would, but for me personally, it feels like if you're not constantly looking for the next opportunity, then things could run out and it could it could all end. So... It's uh, it's difficult to stop working, I guess, is what I'm getting at, like to, to oh. take a break, you know, yeah. and that's what's so challenging, at least for my spouse. It's like, can you stop working? Like, well, yeah, well, we might starve if I do. So, <laughs> I mean, we're doing fine. We're doing fine. But there's that voice in the back of your You're head. that's like, yeah, it's a mental thing. It's like, but Jen's like, but we have plenty. And I'm like, yeah, but that could end tomorrow, Jen. You don't understand that could end tomorrow.
2: Right. Well, and the fact <laughs> that you are probably are the main supporters, so you have kids. I am, you, have
0: yeah. to,
2: you know, we moved to North Carolina specifically so that we would never, ever, ever have to think that way. Now, sometimes it's good or bad, because I think that artists that do have that, you know, they have to do something, it, it makes them Push, you know, it may, somehow
0: good motivator.
2: It may a good motivator, but I don't know if that would be how Scott and I would work best. I just some people it works for, and I'm not sure if that would work best for us. But I agree with you completely. There's with social media. There's always this sense that everybody, you know, you see people saying they had a sellout show or this or that, and and you then it's hard not to compare. You know, it's hard right. not to go, wow, oh, gosh, you know. I, you know, it's really, you know, it takes a lot of like, pers- you know, I guess just groundedness and, you know, we don't have kids and we live here so that we wouldn't have that overhead. And I mean, so I guess there's a little bit of wiggle room, but there is, I, I know what you're saying, because whenever I talk with my friends about this idea that as artists, we want to create and we want to be visionaries and we want to do something that makes our heartbeat faster. And every single one of us will say, I want time or I wish that I could experiment. I wish. I wish I had time. But I have so many commitments. I've booked myself up or I have this and that. And I know that this particular show won't want my experiments. Right. They'll want the things that they wanted in the past. And so it's a recurring conversation that we all say over and over again, that, that then sometimes we get really sad when we don't live up to it, But right? Three years later, I remember when I said, I, I wish I could take time off to experiment and somehow I just never did. And I have to say, and I'm meaning this just with all like 100% honesty that um, COVID was probably the best catalyst in my life because, hmm. you know, it's, Everyone, it, fit, it fits differently, but I'm looking at the silver lining, and of course, there was a lot of fear. Oh, my gosh. I was literally having an art opening on March. Um, it, everything shut down. I think our, yeah, I think our opening was supposed to be March 14th, 2020, and it was canceled. And our, I had, was traveling. I was in Denver, and it had canceled, and no, nothing, and... You know, I couldn't even go in the gallery. I had to fly home. I mean, it was like, and the fear with all the news, like building up to it was just like, wait, is the world going, kind of coming to an end? I mean, I mean, I felt so glad that's over. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But we all, there's like, and then all of a sudden, one by one, every single thing canceled. I mean, four workshops, shows, opportunities, all these things that you had kind of uh, were counting on were gone, and and it was like just out of the blue, I, you know. I just said, "Well, okay, well, I'm just going to start a Patreon, not knowing at all how to do it. I just did it on my phone. You know, I had no idea how to film myself. I had no idea how to do anything. I had no idea how to upload, and I made tons of mistakes. And then I'm going to start just teaching. I'm going to start making like instructional videos." doing like online classes, doing like personal mentoring and being that person that, gosh, what if I'd had me when I was 22, 23 years old? You know, I mean, all the things that I wish. Now, I always, people will say, well, didn't you have Scott? Well, Scott was also extremely young and he was trying to figure himself out. And we paint completely different. So there were when I would ask Scott, you know, like, well, what do you think of this or something? And we're just different, you know, like he would just, he would say things, he'd be like, well, I just, you know, I think maybe you need some like thicker strokes here, or maybe, and that just didn't resonate with me. You know, it just didn't, like it, I needed, I needed more concrete. I needed not just like put thick strokes there. And so what wound up is that we just literally paint separately. We, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, totally don't you wrong. have two
0: separate buildings even?
2: Yeah. So at my house here, I do have a studio in the back and they're two separate. And Scott has a studio. And now I also rent a place um, about a half hour away in a half hour. Inn. It's not bad. It's country roads, you know, so it's not bad. And I, I love it. First but of why all, why do you
0: drive when you have a studio right in your backyard?
2: Everyone says that. So it wasn't. It wasn't up until literally. I'm going to say two or three weeks ago. Did we actually have internet?
0: Oh, are you serious?
2: Now, not, okay, we had internet, but we could not be on our phone and watch Netflix at the same time. Oh, and that's And I, I couldn't. We could not download, upload anything. So, in all honesty, I needed a studio downtown to also be able to have groups. I like painting and drawing, you know, with friends. So to have like model sessions and have it be more convenient for people and have models down there and to have better internet.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Rosemary Brushes. If you're one of my listeners who's a professional artist, you're already using Rosemary Brushes. But for the rest of you, come on, take your work a little more seriously stop buying the other brands it's just not worth it every now and then you may get lucky and buy a good brush from another brand but use the brand that professionals like myself are using go to rosemaryandco.com link in the description or the show notes and get yourself some quality brushes before your next painting
2: but um but luckily oh my god i cannot believe we actually have internet now which is mind-blowing but um so so i love it i love getting up and going to work because if I'm home I'll procrastinate I will watch TV I'll play with my cats and (laughs) I like driving I'm laughing just
0: because of um how you had said that at some point I don't remember where we were but you're like I can just sit and watch cat YouTube videos or or cats on Instagram all day long and then I'm looking at your portfolio and seeing all these cat portraits and it's just cracking me up (laughs) you're such a cat lady
2: (laughs) Oh, I need to paint more kitties. (laughs) Um, So, uh, but I love driving to downtown and then I love being there and knowing that, yeah, it feels like a job. You know, it doesn't feel like a hobby. It doesn't feel like, I feel like I'm here, you know, I can always go home if I, whatever, but I mean, like, I'm here for a certain amount of time. And then on the drive home, what I find is even more important because there have been times when I'm home, I'm sitting in the living room and Scott will come in tell he is still in frustration mode I can tell that it hit the walk from his studio into the house is just not far enough right it's like Mm. he's still zoned out he's still kind of like shell shocked or or just in whatever painting you know how you just paint to a point of exhaustion to where you're like I'm over it and I can just see it you know and so for me I have that half hour of just having music or just having silence and just it's like a a transition to being like whatever was in my studio, good or bad or indifferent, it's like, I'm different. And when I get home, I'm home and I'm, there's like a, a portal, <laughs> I yeah. drive through the portal, you know?
0: Yeah. You know, I, it's interesting. Cause I find other than the people, which is obviously a very important element. Um, but my studio is so much my space. Cause I also have a studio away from home. Mm-hmm. That home is literally nothing but where I put my my family and my underwear and my toothbrush. Like, I mean, everything is at the studio. Right. And uh, which is which I find um, it makes me wonder if maybe I need to be working back at home, but I actually left I left to have a studio away from home for all the reasons you're talking about. So I totally get what you're saying. Uh, particularly the procrastination one where Mm. you just get distracted by something and the next thing you know you've wasted an hour and a half and you should have been working or whatever Um, so anyway I just wonder about that I mean I guess it's probably our lives are so different because you are married to an artist you don't have kids and you live in North Carolina on the mountains and whatnot but um, do you find that that you leave a piece of you back at the studio or can you bring your whole self back home
2: I am pretty good about compartmentalizing when it, it deals with that. Um, yeah, I am different than Scott. Like, he has extreme highs and extreme lows. And, um, like, he's the one who's like, I'm more of a turtle and he's more of a hare. So I'm I'm the one that can, like, regulate myself. And that's also why I like teaching workshops. I mean... I can regulate myself and i think i'm a little bit of an extrovert so to be honest with you monday is the hardest part of the workshop because you're so excited and you're meeting everyone by friday i have more energy than i have on monday and i don't want anyone to go home and i'm like let's just we could just keep doing this you know and scott is different you know scott he can't regulate his output of energy so he like will wear himself out and that's just, I think we're just kind of built certain ways. So for me, I can leave my my studio self in my studio and having that half hour helps so much because I think if I only had a minute to walk back in, I don't know if that's enough time because possibly I might think, gosh, maybe I should walk back out and see, oh, should I go do that? Oh, should I go do that? So, yeah.
0: Mm, that's yeah. great. You're lucky. That's, a, that's, that's good that you have that ability to regulate yourself that way i'm like scott in workshops i'm exhausted by friday because i'm trying to do everything on monday and then by friday i just want to pass out so this, yeah. I'm, I'm the same way i can relate to him um okay so you had mentioned that people say to you well you had scott and you're like yeah, yeah but we're different and that's the other question and maybe this is for that series where we have where we talk about couples. So I, don't, I just want to skim over this. I don't want to dwell on the relationship right now. Maybe you could just tell me how much of a teacher was he for you? What did you gain from living with an artist, and how did it affect your career?
2: Well, that's a, that's a great question, because I think, as I mentioned early on, I was not someone who was book smart. Like, I did not get grades grades in school because I just honestly my family also wasn't the type of family that pushed homework or it was very loosey-goosey let's just say and um what I really learned from Scott was work ethic what I really learned was I had no idea what it looked like to have someone work hard and be so passionate it just it wasn't in my surroundings like I was never I just didn't have no one in my life that that emulated that so even when we first started to date um like say we would see each other and we would go out see a movie on a saturday afternoon or we would do something we'd hang out well when he went home like say at like seven o'clock at night he would start a painting you're kidding
0: me that's a that's crazy
2: but he was also very young remember but he um there was just this energy this like desire this um you, you know, I just had never been around that. So seeing that really helped me. Like it, it I still had to get over habits. I still had to like, I had all these tendencies, but just the idea of like day in, day out, and also just his passion for it. And one thing I also just learned from people like him, but like Richard Schmidt is like, I remember the first time I went to Richard Schmidt's house, he lived in Evanston, which is really close to Chicago. And And um, walking into his house, it was like a revelation because he lived in this beautiful little Victorian house. Every single room was about art. So So a lot of people compartmentalize and they have a studio. And then in their house, it is picture perfect house. There was nothing about art. But when you walked into Richard's house in the living room, you saw every, first of all, he had paintings everywhere. But when you look at all of Richard's work, you saw that he posed a model in every corner of that room. So all mm. those paintings, fancy, everything he did of his children. I mean, anybody, he would, he, every corner of his house was a, what are those tableaus, you know, or something like, you could just put a model in and paint it, have the couch and all the stuff behind the couch and the table in front. You mean the, and you
0: mean the house was, I mean, for lack of a better word, staged in a way that it could be a good setup for a painting.
2: Yes, it was how he lived. It was how he saw the world was through an aesthetic eye. So it was everything like he didn't have a dining room table. So when you walked into his, his living room then he took a right, those old Victorian houses, you had to walk through the dining room to get into the kitchen. And the dining room was his studio. So you walk right past his his palette and his easel and whatever he's painting on. And it was just like every part of his life had to do with art. And he didn't compartmentalize because that was him. Like, so, if, you know, when you're married or have kids, like his kids would just live around it. You know, it was, um, that was like, yes. This was like reminiscent of like that program of George O'Keefe that, you know, your life, every aspect of your life, was art and it it didn't you didn't like it wasn't just nine to five and it wasn't just monday through friday it was yeah like every vacation was wrapped around art every this every friendship like i think about it i'm like all of my friends are artists like i don't even have (laughs) friends that are dentists or you know like you know i don't know you know secretaries i mean i just only have artists so I don't know what it's like to just have small talk with people that don't relate to the world through art.
0: I can't relate to most people. <laughs> <laughs> That's how. I mean, I I can I can on a surface level, but I yeah. find that I'm definitely happier being around my people, is what I call it. <laughs> other other artists, yeah. Well, then that what you just said in a way is kind of what I was talking about with leaving the studio. That's I feel a little bit like Richard Schmidt, where my whole life, it's like in it, it's like every aspect of my life is um wrapped up in in art in one form or another. It doesn't have to be painting per se, but it's that it's that same personality mm-hmm. or desire for beauty that makes me want to paint. That ends up uh, getting inserted into every area of my life. And that's a little bit about what I'm talking about and not being able to leave the studio behind, you know, right. and, yeah. and just letting your house, not be perfect because you live with people, you know, <laughs> letting your environment, just letting it go a little bit because you have to, you have to function in a world with other humans. Right. That's, yeah. that's been, I, that's been a personal challenge for me. And that's why I asked that question.
2: Well, we also joke a lot that we wish we had like an assistant or, I mean, I'd say wife, you know, we wish we had that because, you know, our house is very basic. We don't spend a lot of money on furniture or, you know, expensive things because, first of all, we live in the middle of nowhere. But second of all, like our money goes towards, you know, frames and travel and, experiences and um, and also just the cushion of not then having that fear of like, well, how are we going to pay our insurance bill? You know? So we, it's like it, everything does wrap around it. Like, like, I don't know. Like I think about artists that live like in really expensive areas. I mean, and their overhead is just so high. Yeah. Why you know anyone they-
0: lives in New York? I'll never understand.
2: Or like Los Angeles or sort of places, you know, and then- they get in this wrap this like hamster wheel right where it's yeah like they make a certain amount of money and then they have a certain amount of possessions and then they have to protect those possessions and they have to you know
0: diversify
2: it's like more and more and more and more and i just could never live like that i
0: yeah and when i said i have to i have to uh correct myself not anyone what not why would anyone live in new york What I can't understand is why an artist would choose New York, other than, of course, the museums and stuff. But I don't, I'd rather live four hours away and pay less for a house and drive four hours every six months or three months and go to the Met, you know. It's like crazy expensive to live in those cities. Salt Lake is getting that way, too. But fortunately, you know, we've been here long enough that we couldn't afford to live here today. Yeah, a lot of cities are just getting out of control. I don't know how any artist is ever gonna survive anymore in a city. It's crazy. I think
2: I mean, I also think the reason why things get so expensive is because people just live above their means and it's not real.
0: Maybe it's not seems that way.
2: It's I mean it and an artist should be somebody who is it's like freedom, you know, the ability to pivot, the ability to like say, This isn't working. I need to do something else that like is more fulfilling and once you get into being an, a factory artist then sure like I know how to make money like I but I my soul won't let me. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean like it's like both of us, my Scott and I we're both like we're these people that maybe are a little bit too stubborn but it's like sure I know what I could paint. But it's almost like my hand won't do it. Like I've done that or a few versions of it, and I will play around with different versions. But I just I need to experiment. And I think I was starting to talk a little bit about like COVID and wow, it was so just such a a blessing for me in many ways because when I decided to start doing like mentoring or online classes, it opened up everything, you know, because. You could reach people all over the world, which I love. I feel like I have hundreds of pen pals and it's just, I feel, I just feel so connected and I don't, I can't, I can never be alone anymore because there's so many people out there that I can, you know, just talk to even through zoom, right? I can talk to someone in New Zealand and just talk.
1: It's incredible.
2: And also, Planning an online class is my favorite thing to do. I love to plan trips. So like I say, like, I'm going to do an online class in February. I will take six months to experiment on the things that I want to teach. So then by the time I get to February, I have all these little lessons. I have all these little videos. And I feel like I'm being subsidized in a way to, like, get the time to experiment but then at the end of the rainbow, I then get to share it with people and I then get to like say, oh, my gosh, you know, now you're paying me for all this work I did for six months. And now it's like hopefully I'll inspire you. And and so I just feel like I, I what well, when else would I have even been able to do that? Like, I mean, so I don't know.
0: It's a good time mm-hmm. to be alive. I mean, there's so mm-hmm. many reasons. It's a crappy time to be alive, but <laughs> there's yeah. a, there's, it's a, when it comes to being able to connect over the internet, like we're doing right now, it is such a blessing. I literally just podcast this morning with, um, Daniela, Astone stone in Italy. Mm. And you then, are like,
2: just too popular and I'm
0: not you. popular. I'm, these people are popular and I'm just a, I'm just a weird stalker. Who's got a,
2: no, who's got so a good.
0: microphone.
2: <laughs> I mean, go To get all this going and to be the connector. I mean, you, that's what I think. It's like, I am so determined now too. Like I've always used to do little videos on trips, but I am so determined to document, like mm-hmm. show, Like Saturday, Scott and I are driving up to Vermont and um, I'm going to do a workshop in Vermont at the Land Grove Inn. And then we're going to go stay with Nancy for a few days and then we're going to go visit Michael Klein on the way home. And I think gosh, I'm lucky. I am so lucky and I'm going to video it and show everybody because I would love it. I would love to, like, could you imagine 30 years ago, if somebody was videoing and like showing what someone's studio looked like and what's happening and, and being like, wow, we actually got to see that person's studio 30 years ago. Well, that's what I want to just like you. Like, that's what I want to oh, do now.
0: Yeah. yeah. I feel like these conversations, I've, I've got them triple backed up. I pay way too much to make sure these conversations are backed up. And oh, it's yeah. not because I have a sense of self-importance by any stretch. It's because, like, because I try not to say too much, but because the people I'm interviewing need to be heard after they're dead. I want this conversation to be heard after you're gone.
2: I know. You know?
1: I agree with you.
0: People I need to know you. about you and this awesome story. It's just it's so great. Okay, so I'm gonna ask you a question, and I uh, this this is totally inappropriate but i want to talk about your financial situation a little bit and without getting too specific but you're able to travel obviously you're full-time painters both of you and that's such a blessing that you have that besides the things we've already talked about do you have any things that you believe in or that you do or or that help you to be financially stable so that you can afford to travel and experiment and so on and so forth
2: so I, i think that's a great question and i I think it's so important. And that's kind of why I was talking about people. It is choices, you know, it's like there are, I mean, people want that excitement of like living in Los Angeles or maybe working for a certain this or a certain that, and it's exciting, but then there's a stress level that comes with it. So Scott and I early on, you know, you know, you grow up with money issues with your parents, either, no matter what, there's something that you got from your parents, right? And... Scott and I had completely the opposite money-like mentality, but yet somehow through that growing up, we both completely agree with what we should do. And mm-hmm. that is you only pay cash. <laughs> so Same. we have, so mm-hmm. we like, that's why I knew early on that we needed to get out of the renting. You know, we needed to get out of this like overhead because if we wanted to travel, we just could not live with paying rent in an empty apartment. You know, that we were like not there. So early on, we were like, we've got to be able to like put money towards something that is like, so we did move to North Carolina. We were able to do that because of being self-employed. We we don't make a living where we live. So if we lived in Alabama, if we lived in Chicago, we don't make a living there. So it doesn't matter. We might as well live in a cheaper place. And just, you know, getting a house that was inexpensive and a low mortgage. And then we were determined to pay off our mortgage in seven years. So we paid it off.
0: Seven years. Congratulations. Our
2: house expensive, But, I mean, we were just determined, you know. So, And then we just never had a balance on our credit card. We've never had a, you know, if we buy a car, it's straight out. So we don't have that sense of payments. Like, there's this, like, itemization, except for um insurance, you know. Yeah, it's but, those um,
0: kinds of things that drive me nuts. Yeah. You know, obviously taxes, insurance, the things that even when you're debt free, you still have bills. Right. And you can't right. avoid the bills. <laughs> Drives me crazy. Yeah. No, no. I follow all the same rules. Um, but cash. just for those who just to clarify, for those 17, 18, we do have a little bit of an audience that's younger.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When you say cash, do you mean literally cash or putting things on credit cards and paying it off every month?
2: Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, literally paying it off every month. And okay. I credit card I have is airline miles. Right. So every time I buy, you know, it always, I get so many airline free airline miles a year. And um, that's what I mean by cash. My dad yeah. literally paid
0: cash. Yeah. Cause you can't and, do that in this day and age. I mean, like <laughs> it's hard enough to get a loan when you're self-employed and you're trying to write everything off. So you, so you pay as few right. taxes as possible. If you're not using credit cards, you're toast. You're not going to have a credit score. So
2: That's what I mean, too. I mean, I also mean just like living below your means. So when we, Scott and I moved in with each other, we lived in a neighborhood in Chicago that was very working class. You know, we didn't live in the ritzy part of Chicago. We, you know, and then it's so it's like we always knew we could pay our rent and I guess that's just the mentality, and it's hard, you know, when you see other people having more than you to be like, um, "Well, they live in a, you know, they have that car, they have, they live in that neighborhood." And I don't know, we just never felt that way. I guess I just, you know, what it was too. I think it was the fact that, you know, we I mean, I hardly made any money. I, I'm, I, I mean, I literally was just making enough money probably for groceries. I mean, we we just lived check to check, but you know. And um, it was always like when we were so young and we were poor and we would never go out to eat and we would, you know, everything was like I'd never buy clothes. It was just as exciting of being an artist. I think what nourished us or what kept us like kind of knew that we were lucky was every single adult, every single adult around us said, aren't you guys lucky? You know, every single person was like, I wish I could have done that when I Hmm. oh i wish i could live a life of an artist and so we were constantly being reaffirmed that yeah you know what maybe we don't have a lot of material stuff or maybe we don't have expensive stuff but we kind of have what's important we have this freedom that every day we wake up and we get to create we literally get to create whatever we want every single day and um you don't realize what a luxury that is and it, it you know sometimes it's layers it takes years to like appreciate that and to like you know every year it's a little bit more of appreciation and a little bit more of appreciation so um yeah i get it when you know someone who was in their 50s looking at me when i'm 22 and going looking at me with rose-colored glasses you know who's poor and living you know getting close from Salvation Army and, and then just being like Gosh, what an exciting life you have and so that's how i saw myself was like mm. i have an exciting life because everyone around me is telling me i have
1: one. <laughs> i've been doing jeff's online mentorship program for about a year now and it is awesome. everything is online, super streamlined. if you can be there, i mean you have the ability to talk to him once a week and he can review your work and help you. if you can't be there, it's pre-recorded. you can go back even re-watch things if you missed something during class or couldn't be there. So the online portion of it is almost better than real life because you can always go back to it, which is awesome. The demos are recorded. It's just like all available whenever you need it. And I'm a stay at my mom of four and my time is limited and it's also very interrupted. And so to be able to go back has been clutch for me. And You get to work with Jeff Hine, who's awesome. He's tough. The assignments are simple, but difficult. And they're difficult to make us all better. And he's able to give us these assignments, coach us through it, help us stay excited to progress. And so it's just been a great experience. I am so grateful that he has been willing to take time away from his own art to offer all of us to have it. So if you're thinking about doing it, it's
0: amazing. To learn more about how you could have me as a personal mentor, check out the link to HeinItalier.com in the show notes or video description. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, you are 100% mirroring my approach and my wife's approach. In fact, when, we, when, when I was going to school... I remember I had this job at a woodworking place. I was turning legs and whatnot, and um, the guys would all go out to lunch every day, and they would, of course, invite me to lunch, and I'd always turn them down because I didn't have the money for lunch, and they're like, we're just going to like McDonald's or something. Just do the 99-cent menu. I'm like, you don't understand. I don't have 99 cents. And at the time, my wife was also working, but between the two of us, we were just barely getting through school and paying our rent and everything yeah. and paying car payments and whatever, whatnot, because we had to have a car. So what happened when we started making money, when I started making money, all of a sudden we've got two we got a significant income on top of what we were used to. We just kept the same lifestyle. And, and this is what people don't do. And we just kept the same lifestyle until we had a couple years income in the bank that we could live on and from that day for 20 years we've had financial freedom i've never had to not or feel like i can't experiment with my paintings i've never felt like pressure to paint something i didn't want to paint never had to worry but you're so you're spot on when i when you say or at least i suspect you're spot on when you say that um that we're just living beyond our means i mean we as in people in general are just living beyond our means to have all these nice things.
2: Yeah. Well, so I think it's because like everyone needs a creative outlet. Everyone yeah. needs reason to like explore your inner self. Either it's gardening, cooking, fashion, you know, whatever, we're making things, I mean. And it's like if you don't have that, of course you're going to rely on we all crave new we all crave this sort of excitement of like, what's around the corner? What's, you know, what's, what, you know, and so if you don't have like something that's already that you can work at every day, then you're going to want to like fill that hole with
0: toys. You know, yeah. Essentially Drew. toys. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. I was just, I'm not going to say who, to embarrass anyone embarrassing on the podcast. I was just talking to someone close to me in my life. They were complaining about their spouse and how, not yeah. complaining but venting about how their spouse keeps buying toys and i said he's got a job he hates like that's why he buys toys he comes home on the weekends and it's his only relief and he buys toys i don't buy toys because i don't need toys i'm fulfilled i every day of my life is fulfilling so well, and just sure... to empathize with this poor man who's <laughs> just trying to find an ounce of happiness in his life you know
2: well i mean i'm gonna probably I mean for you and me, every artist, I mean our addiction, our art supplies probably.
0: Oh, that's like, the truth. For me, it's, tools. It's, tools and art supplies. Yeah.
2: I, I am embarrassed at how many brushes I have. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. like it's almost it's a sickness and it is something that I honestly wouldn't want to show people. Be that I'm like 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 I would be like it would like make me feel very dirty.
0: But you only <laughs> have artist friends, so we all understand. We're all sick. Well,
2: I, still though me you know trying to be my highest self like i was i'm even like sorting brushes going which brushes can i give away you know because somehow i mean because i love old brushes so i tend not to just throw them out you know like i have brushes from 15 20 years ago so i yeah
0: i just put them in a different container once they get old they're my and it's funny because a year later this just happened i've got this container of old quote-unquote unusable brushes and then uh, just recently, I'm going through there just to use a brush to put wood glue on something because that's what I use them mm-hmm. for, for cr- yeah. random things. And then I'm like, ooh, there's a couple brushes. <laughs> I don't know how they made it in here. These would you make great know. brush strokes. So I, I put them, I take them out of the old trashy container, and put them back in my normal container.
1: Us too. They, Scott they... <laughs> loves curly brushes. People <laughs> laugh.
0: Yeah, I know. They love- <laughs> It's so bizarre. I don't know why they weren't sufficient before, but now all of a sudden they're a treasure again. They just came out of you hell into these, heaven.
2: You know, just like food or something like certain times I'm like so into a brush and I go, I'm not really into those brushes. Yeah. And like you said, like a couple of years later, you go, where have, and you see those brushes again. You're like, where have you been all these years? <laughs> oh my so God.
0: <laughs> i wish i could see your brush collection i want to know if it's actually bigger than my brush collection i see because i also have that disease where i go to the yeah. art supply store just to pick up one brush because because i'm out of that one brush and i might want one or two of them and i come home mm-hmm. with 800 dollars worth of brushes and i'm like what the crap am i doing
2: our stores are our achilles heel for sure and um <laughs> yeah.
0: It's pretty bad. Okay. Well, all right. So let's talk a little bit more about your art. Okay. Um, in fact, well, let's pull it up. Let's pull up your website. Oh, okay. One of the things that I absolutely love about your work. you said you couldn't draw. I just don't get it because look at this of Divya. Divya is a fellow artist and friend of, I'm assuming, friend of yours, friend of mine. And uh, you nailed that likeness. And you're telling me that you well,
2: have... Well, I think... I mean, okay, so I'm better at drawing now than when I started for sure.
0: Obviously we all are. Right.
2: But you know, a lot of times, you know, getting true likenesses does take me a while. Um, I think, I think people are just, we all have different, um, talents. Some people are really good at spatial, like they're able, good at seeing shapes some people are really good at seeing value. Um, and for me, it's like, I, I, it takes me a while to get there. Like, it's not like, you know, an hour thing. It's like, it, it's a multiple going in there and tweaking and tweaking. And for me too, like I, every single piece I have to turn upside down because I, my brain is not seeing things in alignment correctly. So I have to turn everything upside down. And I, I work from black and white. So if I'm working from a reference, it's, it's always black and white because I just I don't know if it's like, it's not like a colorblindness thing. It's like, I literally have a very hard time duplicating value.
0: So you mean from color, bringing value from color, color to black and white.
2: And even from black and white, like I find that I put things in and I somehow it's like, like everybody and I teach, I'm sure you do too, right? There are things that as a teacher, you hear coming out of your mouth over and over again and it's because it's the things that we see in our own work and so the thing that i emphasize mainly with with students is like keeping your lights clean keeping the half tones in the light because i find that my habit is whenever i go back to my work the next day or i'm looking at stuff i'm like how did those half tones get so dark like
0: what uh, ha- you know what this is why what? i love talking to people like you a great artist like you because i know that principle instinctively but I've never heard it put that way. I've never heard it. And I cuz I know I do the same thing on occasion where my half tones get a little too dark and but I know the principle that you have to separate the light side from the dark side, make sure the light side stays in the lights, the dark stays in the darks. But with the way you phrased it makes it so clear, keep your lights clean. I love that and I'm going to use it from now on. I hope you don't mind. <laughs>
2: No, good. And, you know, I I, I get that from, of all places, um, creative illustration.
0: Oh, really? I have that book. I guess I I need to read more carefully.
2: Because there's a chapter. Go to the chapter sort of towards the end of where he quotes Howard Pyle. So Howard Pyle was a very famous teacher. And he was obviously a very strict teacher because the way he would phrase things, you could tell he, people were probably pretty scared of him. But he was very deliberate about keeping half tones in the light. And then that differentiated between amateurs and professionals. And, you know, the way he would phrase things were just so funny, but really, I guess, just harsh. But um, he would say, if you see color, if you see form, if you see texture, anything that you see is in the light. And usually the halftones are what's showing you the color, texture, form, you know, all that. So you, it's just that mind, okay, no matter what, halftones are in the light, so they have to be like value four or to one. To me, so one is my highest highlight, ten is my darkest accent, and, and five is that is that middle where it can go slightly, but I consider five to be half shade, so four. So my halftones have to be four or above. And, even though I know this mentally, I still somehow, through painting, somehow I fall asleep a little bit during the process. And recently, I've been even going no half tones, get rid of them, <laughs> because there is something about the human mind. And the more you look at someone like Sargent, he didn't even paint half tones. You know, it's like his half tones are so in the light; there are no half tones. And so it's. I'm just like pushing that. I'm just saying if yeah. if we we can go more simple, less modeling, less haptome, then it's going to be even more clear and um so I'm just kind of been on this like crusade. You know what? Cuz everybody wants to kind of push back and go, "But I see that color. I see this. I see that." And they're, they're just not analyzing it enough because they're, o- you know, they're overseeing it. They're not squinting. They're not comparing because it's not just all about looking in one spot. It literally is about judging two values right next to each other. But then it's slightly defocusing or, you know, some people just defocus. Some people squint or like they look through their eyelashes and it's moving the eye. It's like saying, what is the comparison? It's not just this point. It's this point compared to that point, compared to this point, compared to that point. And the comparing is what goes out the window. So, um, you know, we were taught in school. You mean
0: it goes out the window unnecessarily. It shouldn't go out the window, you're suggesting. It shouldn't go out the window
2: because people only focus on where they're painting. So if they're painting, that's the only thing they're thinking about. If they're painting the ear, that's the only thing they're thinking about. So the ear becomes full value. The neck becomes full value. The background becomes full value. And so it's like it's like they're just moving to one place and then zoning in and not the idea of a bullseye. a Center of interest, this fact of like that you as an artist are telling a story. You are not a photograph. So you are saying, this is what I want you to look at right here. And so everything else is a supporting character. So that collarbone, you know, the, you know, the, the color or the, whatever's going down the arm or the, the, you know, the little bit of information right here, you know, if, if like you see a tiny bit of background between the hair, this goes out of focus. It's, it's, um it's get stepping from like, seeing everything to seeing only what the poetry is. And that's a huge leap for people. It takes a lot.
0: I'm still working on that. I mean, that to me is a huge part of where I feel like the art of making paintings lies. Mm -hmm. Because pure observation is a craft. You just look at the thing, make the thing again. To me, that seems like a craft. But then... Once you can bring in what you've described where you find your focus and then everything else supports it. And it's, it's almost like directing a play. In other words, you're directing your attention around the image. That's a huge part of where the art lies. And that's the hard part. That's the hardest part. Once you, especially once you know how to draw and paint, at least to some degree, when you're learning to draw and paint, that seems like the hardest part, but. Yeah. Right.
2: And that's why it's it's difficult because also there is a point where just getting something to look like a face and you know to be able to to draw or paint at the same time is a feat especially when you have a time crunch, right? right. You know, like it is it is daunting. But then how do you get something from looking academic to something that's looking aspirational? And you know, it doesn't to me, it doesn't always just happen like immediately. Like sometimes I do have to like almost kind of work through everything, figure it out because like, yeah, it's a struggle, you know? Like sometimes it's just hard trying to figure out how to, you know, get this shape, the how you want it to be in, in relationship. And, how you know, sometimes things do get a little bit overworked. And then the process for me is, Once I've kind of got it to that 90, 95 percent, then it's like, okay, how do I take away? And, you know, then I'm asking myself questions like, you know, what is distracting? You know, and so there's all different types of tricks. I mean, the trick of turning things upside down. Some people look at things in mirrors. Sometimes it's incredibly um, helpful to literally take a photograph of your painting or drawing because, The camera is a magician. The camera will like give you just the most glaring edge, the most glaring something that is like a miss. Because I find, find just like with like your nose or your mouth, our eyes become desensitized to value what we've been seeing over and over and over again. And we almost can't see what's wrong anymore because we've just been looking at it too long. And that's why we get help. That's why we get a critique or that's why we turn it around. But look at your own artwork in a photograph, and guess what's even more a miracle? Look at your own artwork, put it in the computer, turn it into black and white, and posterize it. Whoa, are you holding all your shadow patterns together? Are you holding all your lights together? It is. It will, like, really tell you if, like, you are, like, kind of, like, you know, getting too choppy or maybe like getting too much in areas that you, that shouldn't be. Um, so yeah, there's all different kinds of ways of like tricking our brains to like see things in a different way.
0: Yeah. Okay. I got to go back to something you said about Sargent, And, in, uh, just to get a clarification. So you had said that he, I don't remember if he said almost or does throw out the half tones now, and my impression of Sargent is that he just makes them much closer together. Is that what so you, you meant mean by that?
2: So what I mean by the half tone is I mean by that value that right where the light turns into shadow. Now, if you look at most of Sargent's work, he lights the model almost inevitably from the side. It's right. most flat. So a lot of times it's direct side or it's like front side. So the whole face is being lit up. So in general, he makes the face very, very light. And then just along the very edge, there might be a little bit of a shadow pattern and just over here. But even those shadow patterns are high key in reality. And it's the background. It's what's surrounding it that is allowing the lights in the face to stay that light. You know, he doesn't paint light next to light. His backgrounds are not high key and then the face is high key. It's like incredibly high key face, um, very high, usually, not always, but in general, usually the shadows because it's flattering. You know, how do you flatter someone? You don't give them harsh lighting. You give them side lighting. You take away all these little bumps and all this little information, these middle shapes. Yeah,
0: he was so good at flattering. I suck (laughs) at flattering.
2: (laughs) 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 <laughs> and so, you know, tones are those little transitions. So you might see them or like sometimes like you'd look at those paintings that he did of children and they're really strong. And like he might have that beautiful red edge just on the side of the nose. But that's just one accent. And it's really small. So when you have high key or, or um, soft, you know, that like really high key lighting, the tones become really tight. It's when right. you have thematic kind of chiaroscuro or spotlight um, lights that the halftones can be a little bit more bigger. And his halftones were so tiny because, you know, the, the light was right next to that bright red stroke, which was on the edge of that shadow. So, he, you know, he was giving you these little color um, accents just on the edges. So I feel like we should
0: I- pull up a Sargent painting. I wish we could analyze a Sargent painting. Maybe that's for another episode, but this is good All stuff. Right. I, I really appreciate you clarifying that. Okay. Let's pull up. Uh, let me see how to navigate your site here. I was looking <laughs> at it before, but now I've. Okay.
2: Oh, gosh. You can zoom in on this. See the bottom? You can click zoom.
0: Oh, Okay. Good. Good. Oh, that's awesome. Nice feature. So you, had, <laughs> well, you said that people are have different skills or different innate aptitudes towards certain parts of art making. Some people are better at value. Some people are better at proportion. Some people are better at spatial sense. One of the things, two of the things that I think you are so good at, and I think you're great at drawing too, but I can't tell because you tell me you work so hard that you get it right. So, so I can't tell whether it's easy or hard, but your sense of value, which we've kind of just talked about and your sense of color are so subtle and so sophisticated.
1: Wow. They're just very,
0: oh my gosh. And one of the things I noticed when we were in Arizona at Scottsdale artist school is how you take that principle of having the cool lights and warm shadows. And you make it sing without overdoing it, because I've seen it overdone, and I've seen it not implemented terribly uh, ambitiously or um, creatively, and then I've seen the way you do it, where it's just you make them sing. For example, when you look at the purples and violets right up against right up against that yellow on the forehead. I can't point to it when it's zoomed in here, so yeah, I'll just kind of, we'll put the, the handle of the zoom thing. So we got this yellow <laughs> next to this purple, all on the edge of that core shadow. I mean, complete compliments right next to each other, and it just sings. You have a gift for that. That's wow. one of the things I love I'm, about your paintings.
2: I think that's why people like rim light or backlit is that first of all, just having that dark right next to those lights Our our eyes. I mean, I think are attracted to that. Um, there is something about that contrast and, you know, and I'm just going to be admitted like this painting took me a long time. So originally you get all just like the values and maybe kind of more neutrals. And then I I mean, this painting, I had to keep pushing the lights lighter and it, it's like, it's fascinating i'm going through a period right now where like a painting like this right you start off pretty much on a white canvas so you're putting tones and washes and then you're kind of putting in the shadows and you're you know and then i just could never get my lights as clean so the last strokes of this painting were the very last lightest lights on that forehead and nose and cheek and finger is because I just, it was too dull for too long. And then it, t- it takes me to like the 11th hour to like kind of just do it. And because maybe I'm too wimpy, but I just decided that I'm gonna go opposite now because my bad habit is not getting cleaning up lights. It's just not, I'm always having to fix my lights and my halftones. So I'm starting to only work on, or at least for a while, like black, so, so
0: black canvas. I have... A black canvas? Uh, yeah. Really? Black have you paper? tried velvet? Have you tried painting Elvises oh, on Velvet?
2: I know. I know. There's a bad <laughs> there's like a bad reputation, but <laughs> um, I just know that believe me, I mean it is it is pretty exciting to have a black sheet of paper. Yeah. Or what I have been doing is using working because I've been doing a lot of sketches, you know, so I've been working on that like oil papers, like the arches or the stone hinges or things that, you know, are meant to do oil on. And I will just do black, you know, just scumble. I'll just do black all over it. And then on top of that, or just literally black paper where I will seal it with a clear either gesso or something, and then just start to paint on that. There is something so electric and so satisfying to my my inner being that it's coming at it from the opposite. So it's taking my weakness, which is getting my lights lighten up. And it's forcing me in that initial stroke to put down what is so hard for me to put down and put it down in the beginning. Mm. And so I'm just so I've been working on that and I've been playing around with like color harmonies and just, you know, different materials. Like, well, what does you know, what is nice to paint on and how can I work on different blacks? what is the what? What kind of offerings? And, um, but it sounds weird. I get it. There's something like hidden in our It's not culture. weird.
0: It's not weird. I'm just teasing you. No, there, there is a question I have about it though. This isn't, I, I understand that this isn't critical to a successful painting by any stretch, but I'm wondering what your feelings are about it. If you start with a black canvas,
2: mm-hmm. you're going to
0: have to, you're going to have to paint relatively opaque shadows in order to bring the shadows up to a higher key
2: but it's amazing how if you use a very very strong color like say seriously like something like a quinacridone rose or Mm -hmm. even a, and you just scumble it right out of the tube i mean gorgeous right there on black you have some of the you don't have to make your shadows that now scott paints completely thick shadows so he is like that person that, like, you know, he doesn't play by those rules. I know. Now, that's,
0: that's why that's why I prefaced it by saying it's not critical. I'm just curious right. what your thought is on it.
2: No, but I'm not a naturally thick painter, so I am playing with the rules of thick and thin and all that stuff. So, but there is something that is pretty exciting and You know, so, I mean, I could have, I could have done this exact painting, but just coming at it from a completely opposite instead of working on white and then adding dark, adding dark, adding dark. Now I'm adding light, 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 and I find it a revelation. Yeah, It is, that's the thing about being an artist is that one thing will, fantasy, you know, we see art on Instagram or we somehow, well, it could be anything, a movie, a song, a book, a poem, it, you, anything that might all of a sudden just plant a word in your head, then like leads to something else, that leads to something else. And, you know, we chose this career, this life path to be like, yeah, that's what our job is, is to look for those those threads and then figure out what our voice is in that thread. And then, you know, maybe a strike a lightning Somehow, possibly, we will make something so beautiful that other people will go, Why didn't I think of that? You know, Mm -hmm. so there's always this idea. We see it with other people, like I was saying, like when we see something so beautiful, and I go, Holy cow, they are tapped into that river of creativity that I just crave. You know, I want to be in my intuition, I want to like know what it's like to feel the flow. And, um, but it, you know, every day, some days you have bad days, but it is just every day. You just keep searching for. It. And I mean, and I am all about like meditation. I'm all about prayer. I'm all about asking for guidance. I'm all about silence. There's, you know, there are, you have to silence yourself. You mm-hmm. have to set your mind. You have to take the time that you just don't have things spinning through to like even have a download to even have something new pop in and you can't keep shoving other people's like creativity down your throat. You can soak it up but then you have to let it go for a while and then you have to say what can I take from all of this magic and then sit and then be away from that stimulus and it doesn't happen overnight sometimes it happens in days weeks months but then you know that there is something that you go you know what i recognize it Mm -hmm. you recognize this something this was the answer to just something that i asked for three months ago
0: Mm. i love it that's great okay so i want to comment on these colors one more time but i want to do it with a different (laughs) word (laughs) Because I'm just enamored with your sensibility, color sensibility. Let's see what, what how do I get back to the actual, the actual, um, let's see. Okay, here we go. Website redesigned. Oh, your drawings. All right, we need to talk more about your drawings. But before we talk about your drawings, we have to pull up a cat because you are a cat lady.
2: Wait, oh my gosh, Annie. Oh, sorry. There's Annie. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh we get, oh I, I gave
0: you full screen and then we didn't get to see your full screen. That's too bad.
2: Oh well. <laughs> that's okay. I can bring it back up. But yeah, Annie and Theo are right here because they have, you know, they have to be with you.
0: Oh man, I love it. I love your I love your uh love for cats. It's great. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, and it's just gorgeous. So I think this is the I don't know if you painted this back when we were in. S- Godsdale. Yeah,
2: I did. You did. So this was from a model with um, Tim Reese.
0: Yeah, so was, I have yeah, Tim so... Reese's version of this. I bought it the same yeah, time I bought so... the painting I showed you. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Gorgeous. And then this is another good example. You, You seem to have a favorite palette when it comes to your highlights. You... It does.
2: you know what I think it's true and I noticed that through my work too so it's like okay so that's a, just a good question that I want to just say for a second is that for years I was noticing that I was my color palettes was like similar we all have habits and then when I would look at a whole bunch of my paintings either in you know on the web or in folders or in front of me I'm like wow my paintings are all turning really orange really red and so then I made a Conscious choice of taking certain colors off of my palette and transferring them, and and so now just recently I was like, you know what, I I have been playing around with this color like too much. I had my fun with it. Now I'm going to play with some other colors, and so there are these things that we have to be flexible enough to go. All right, there is not a perfect flush. There is not a perfect highlight. There is not perfect anything. Play with it. Feel it out work through it and then move on and change it up. And, but I do think that, especially on a warm skinned, um, you know, person having like, cause he has these undertones of these olives and yellows and browns, then yeah, like you're going to the blue, the cool highlight, you know, from the spotlight is, is going to have these sort of violets, you know, these sort of blues. And sometimes they're more purple. Sometimes they're more blue. Um, you know, and and sometimes, you know, it's like when they're really crisp and clean, you could use like a, a viridian, which can be so shocking, but that works so well. Um, and I have been experimenting more with some of these luscious colors that the companies are making now.
0: When you say works so well, what, what it seems like to me is that they work in creating the illusion of the person, but not necessarily work at being an absolute correct documentation of reality because i I mean i remember being there and i remember noticing they're not that violet right but you understand the principles of painting and you exaggerate them in in such a way that it just it enhances the portrait it's
2: well and also right you're trying what we what we're doing is we're creating an illusion so we're trying to tell somebody something and how do we depict it? So it's like, yeah, like transparency, we show air, you know, thickness, show light. Um, How do we show something's going in the distance? You know, there's all these things about edges and graying down. So we do, we are trying to figure out how to do that, but with, you know, a flesh, it just wouldn't look cool. If I just added white to uh, a brown, Mm. it would look chalky. It wouldn't look in that temperature. So you do have to add the opposite, like the color wheel, right? If he has these yellow browns, you do have to add the opposite to create the illusion of a highlight. And I did have to go lighter than, you know, unless I, you know, to create even that illusion that there was a spotlight. Now, that's just my preference. Like somebody else you know, would have maybe could have been on it more subtle, or maybe it would have been just not as contrasted. Um, But yeah, I was trying to play with like highlights, and and I learned that from Richard Schmidt, and I learned that from looking at his highlights. If you study his highlights, especially in still lifes, you will see how he like on an apple will put like a a bl- cool blue or a cool red, and then like a, a a warm red right on top of each other with those like, and he'll use those brushes that splay, right? Like the kind that get all, you know, gnarly and like, and splay out and have fingers and those and like a, a mongoose or a sable or something. And he'll just put it down like a little kitten lick, right? So he'll just like put it down and he'll have like the green underneath and then he'll have the pink going this direction. And he uh, leaves them. So he doesn't smooth them out. So, I mean, you do this too. And so that when someone stands back, it's like sparkles. And, you know, it's interesting because they don't know why it's sparkling, but it's sparkling because the artist put a red and green next to each other. And it's just that the values are the exact same values, So it works. And I remember him saying once, like, if you would look on a long stem of a rose, or you would look on a long, like, tree log, And one of his landscapes, like if you some of those um, paintings where he'd have a tree log going down on the beach. Right. And you would look at the light value on the top of the tree log and you would just see green and pink and yellow and blue and then a little more green. And you would go, how does he do that? And it works because it's all the exact same value. Right. But he say, why use the same color? Why not be more, you know, wonderfulness? Why not be more brilliant? Why not give the the spectacle of all these beautiful gems? But just as long as they're the same color, from far away, people can't tell. It's only when you get really close and you go, holy cow, look at that. Oh, my God. Look at all these little drags of, like, different colors, but they're, you know, they're the same value.
0: Mm-hmm. That's awesome, I love it. That's good advice. All right, let's see what else you got here.
2: Well, I w- if I would've known, I would've sent you images. I don't even know the last time I uploaded this. I know, I we, we all neglect better. our
0: websites, right? It's, uh, I'm gonna be- it's pretty bad how we neglect our websites. <laughs> but yeah. uh, maybe I could go to Instagram too. In fact, let's do that. Let's go to Instagram. Okay, here. Yeah, oh man. Yeah, this, some of these are just, the simplicity of this, it's just incredible. I love well, see, how you simplified pretty... that eye socket.
2: Well, and this is a small painting. So when I do things in my studio from life and you have like, you know, the models up, you know, you have the model from one to three in the afternoon, but you have breaks. And so you think really the painting time is actually maybe even less than two and a half hours. And so I tend to paint relatively small for those time periods. You know, I'm this. I think was only like a ten by ten, and oh. I always tend to do um, limited palettes. So this was, I think, like a probably some magenta, you know, purple with uh, transparent oxide brown, and I think viridian. Hmm. And so it's it's like. I think, no, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was, no, I wasn't using a blue. Um, it is like, or maybe it was a blue, but I mean, I tend to choose just three. It's just me. I, I have a hard time with too many colors. So um, it's just doing a study. So sometimes if I have like a model one week, I'll go, well, today I'm going to use green and, you know, brilliant pink. And maybe, you know, a neutral. Oh, and then this week, maybe I will try this and this and, this. you know, and it's all just the same face. It's the same light. It's the same, you know, idea, but like choosing, like, well, oh, what do I want to harmonies? Do I want?
0: Yeah. Um, Sound like James Gurney.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. So this Are is you exactly-
0: familiar with how he works? He, he's, yeah. yeah. This yeah. is
2: just the idea, like the half tone is in the light. So those transitions like on her cheek or even on the side of her nose, just to me are like, nope, not going to go there. Not going to like show too much saturation or too much form. Just, yeah, like, and it, it, you can keep it because I'm surrounding her face with a darker value. So then she can stay high key.
0: Mm. One of the things I'd love you to comment on, which this displays extremely well is your ability to make just these gorgeous descriptive edges so you know you've got in the forehead it's so (laughs) hard and crisp and technically one might say well that's an edge that turns so we need to soften it up a little bit but then it's but it works and it works so beautifully and then it's soft here at the bridge And then really crisp and hard here, and then soft again. It's just really, really beautifully done. I wonder if you could comment on how your approach to edges, maybe some thoughts on edges.
2: Well, I do think profiles are the perfect way to study edges and my favorite book. So, anyone out there who doesn't know John Vanderpool's drawing the human figure is just like my Bible. I learned about about that book. Well, you might have, and maybe, like, once you saw some images, you'd go, oh, okay. Okay. So he taught at the um, Art Institute of Chicago in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and he taught a lot of famous artists back then and illustrators, and he created this book that is just so beautiful. His drawings are like paintings, and it's more about mass than it is about line, and um, so he just would show these beautiful profiles. So to begin with, and maybe because I also saw Richard and Scott do profiles all the time, I never had that stigma about profiles. In fact, I love them too much. I have to force myself not to do them. And so profiles are this amazing, like this, this, yeah, this dance of line. And so to me, though, the forehead, first of all, so there's, it's like, this is a tiny little painting, but within this tiny little painting is a, is a microcosm of like where I want people to look. And I want people to look at just that little area of the eye, you know, just this little area of the forehead, eye, and nose. So mm-hmm. the hair, and everything else is just secondary. So yeah, so, so within that small little box of that little thing I want people to look at, there's going to be the hierarchy of edges. So bone, so I'm t- I always tell people, well, look for where bone is. Bone, you can have a harder edge. And, you know, cartilage or where something turns softer, you can have a softer edge. Okay, so that's just general. Um, But then obviously the light is coming from above and front. So where does the light hit the closest? So those are like, okay, where's that sharpest edge going to be? So I'm telling the viewer that this is ground zero. You know, this is like number one, light is hitting here light this is bone so let's start off here and then everything else is diminished and is like secondary like you know it's like okay this is less important these are supporting so and then anything that's turning under so like if the light is coming from above anything that's turning away from the light can be soft so mm-hmm. right here, eyebrow Look at and that. The brow.
0: yeah yeah right here the- really soft really soft on the under the lip, really soft under the chin.
2: Yeah. And I, I not push it for sure, but it's all, but I'm thinking of these as like haikus, right? right? So I'm not a super fast painter. So I'm thinking, what can I get done in this amount of time with, you know, when you're painting in a group, so there's always like distraction. There is, you know, you're all, you're all whatever, you know, it's like, I don't want to like make things hard for myself. So I limit my palette. I limit my idea. I, I I'm limiting everything. And then I'm limiting even more within this and just focusing on like the eye and the nose and the mm. mouth is secondary. I always do the mouth very last. And um, yeah, so I don't even think about like hair or, you know, and all that stuff. And even the design within the eye, I'm like, that's the least important. I would, Never go in there. I mean, I mean that's a gift. That eye shape is so beautiful. Says and everything so it
0: needs to say.
2: Yeah, and that's why when you look at the John Vanderpool book, he taught me that. He taught me how to create that one puzzle piece to create that eye shape and the angles of it and how beautiful geometry it is. So, yeah, I don't want to go in there and show more. Yeah,
0: this is one of the most difficult things I find to teach. And that is getting students to just put down the dark shape instead of Mm -hmm. drawing a pupil and an Mm -hmm. iris and the rim of the flesh around the eye and so on and so forth, just to put down the dark shape. Um, it's really hard. I find to get students to do that. And you've, you've, um, you've illustrated or demonstrated it very well. It's incredibly well.
2: Well, and I, I, you know, when I was in school, I would do little copies from John Vanderpool's book. And I tell people when they're starting out to draw to just think of it as meditations and like like uh, someone doing piano scales. Mm -hmm. Well, when, when you're doing anything, when you're watching TV, when anything, take out the book, take a little sketch and just copy his because he's editing it and showing you these beautiful little shapes and just try and get the muscle memory understanding how that shape goes into that shape. And mm-hmm. you do it over and over again. Another thing that I am I teach is that it's you don't do it one and done. You know, it is like you might do six of these eyes across your paper and you just keep doing it. till it's so sunk in that you're like, oh, right. So the next time I do a profile, I can understand that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like I can understand how one shape goes right into another shape. And mm-hmm. then I also tell people the best way to force yourself not to do details is to give yourself that idea of doing like a demo, meaning like you gift yourself like a really good photo or an apple, it could be a still life or anything, and you get it all set, you put a timer for an hour and you say, I'm going to do these little block-ins and obviously I'm not gonna go to a small brush, so what can I get done? What can I get this done in an hour? And then an hour's done and you can't touch it again. It's like, um, it's an electric, you know, it's like a 50 yard dash, you know, you're just an adrenaline of how to simplify and it's, it's a muscle. You have to train yourself. I mean, it's not yeah. going to, if you're not used to doing it, it's going to be difficult and you're going to mm-hmm. fight it, but it's like, how much are you willing to like, keep doing it? You know?
0: Yeah. That sounds like a really helpful exercise. Okay. So I just want to find one of your, Oh, there it is. Found it. These, um, I'm assuming there's a new pastel.
2: Well, yeah, this was probably done with Conte of Paris pastel pencil, new pastels. Yeah, I use a lot of like the um, Conte of Paris, um, new pastel, especially back then when I did this one, yeah. Oh, this was done again, on- real the
0: edges, the edges are just so beautiful. And then okay. artists are such nerds, the edges, the edges, like, what? <laughs> it's like, who cares in the, you know, in the grand scheme of things in the world, it's, but it's, for me, it's, it's eye candy with this beautiful, sharp edge right under the chin here, the, how you soften the eyes. And then your subtle turning of forms in the face. This is one of my favorite drawing mediums that you do. I love these drawings. They're just.
2: yeah it really did lend itself. I mean, because we, I was saying, like everybody has something that they love to do. And, and, um, I love the tactileness of chalk and pastel. I love the feeling of rubbing. So there was a time years ago when like all of us, we go through things and I was going through some illness and, and, and so I just wasn't able to paint really. And so, when you're sick a lot or you're not feeling well, you know, I would just say, well, I just want to do something. I just want to do something. I don't want to just sit around anymore. So, you know, I'd be sitting on my couch and I would be watching TV and I'd be like, well, at least I could draw so I could have some paper on my lap and, you know, and I would just take a, you know, like a sepia chalk because I always loved old photos. So I loved that idea of those like old, old photos that kind of things were disappearing and, and they looked, you know, like, Falling, you know, kind of edges were kind of falling away. And so I just would start on this doing it and I would rub because I just loved it. I don't know. There was something about it. Not every, it doesn't come natural to people, right? So I'm like, I'm rubbing, rubbing, rubbing. And then I would try different papers. And when I found this paper, which is a printmaking paper, Reeves BFK, printmaking paper, it's a thick, soft paper that when the more you rubbed it, the better it got. Whereas some papers, Some papers are, you know, papers feel differently. There's coarse papers, hot hot press. There's some papers that are very just flat and you rub it and it doesn't do much and maybe it smooths it out. But this paper, the more you rubbed, it rubbed into it. So because it was like a paper, so it was kind of you're rubbing it into the layer, which then helps with this sort of ghosting effect, meaning Parts of it, you know, you see on the edge and near the left cheek where her shoulder is just disappearing. Well, you only get that because the paper is part, you know, as you keep rubbing it, rubbing it, rubbing it. It's like it's like going into the paper. And, hmm. you know, and then so the, so materials do lend itself to kind of leading you in a certain way. Now, Scott doesn't want to draw this way. You know, he would never draw this way. If you gave him this paper, his p- drawings would look completely different. So there. if anybody gets anything from this, it is the fact of it's wonderful to be uniquely yourself and everyone will find whatever it is that will be like, it will just click, right? You'll just right. find something and um, yeah.
0: Yeah, doesn't that paper, I feel like I've tried that paper before Isn't it, doesn't it kind of have, um, like, get kind of pills building up if you rub it too much? Sure. It does? Okay, okay. So it is the same paper. Yeah.
2: Well, and and, and there's different weights. So in, in most papers, like, you could get, like, the thinner weight, like the 180, and then I think it goes up to 280. And so I would always get, like, the whenever I work on paper, I always get the heaviest. Yeah. Because I can... I tend to be a little bit dist- you know, manipulated. So um, but and there's even on that paper, there is a front and back. So I tended to work on what you might consider the back, which is the side with the um imprint with that embossing.
1: Okay. And
2: everybody's different, you know, like I just looked at somebody's drawing who worked on that really pebbly, bumpy pastel paper. And you know, and I would always shy away from that.
0: Like the sandpaper type stuff?
2: You know, like there's you know there's pastel paper that has sort of a texture on one side and is very smooth on the other. Yeah. And then when you do on it you shows bumps, right? Right. But um I would always have chosen the other side. Well, they chose the bumpy side, and it just is so it's okay, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's just a different look. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because that that whole pilly quality where the paper would sort of peel off a little bit. Drove me nuts. That's why I'm asking. How would you? We're all different. Well, I don't remember. I don't, probably with a stump, probably with a paper stump. Are you using your fingers?
2: Well, I would use, I would first use my finger, but I would majority, and I wouldn't even use a brush too, but a majority, I would use a Viva paper towel.
0: Oh, maybe that's the the difference.
2: It's like my favorite tool of all time because once you can make it into a little ghost and you can use it or you can kind of rub it but then once you actually get material on the viva i start using that as a drawing tool and that then creates a wide kind of soft kind of effect but i would use those stumps but i would tend to use the stumps that aren't the turning ones like the tortillions, the just the ones that are just paper yeah and i would use those probably in those little areas of like the eyes or something but I, yeah, I mean, but I they think They might my just be too rom-
0: aggressive for the big areas. That's probably why I was having that problem. Yeah, well, you're working magic on that paper. Congrats. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Okay, so my last question for you okay. is, what advice would you give an aspiring young artist? Mm. What's one piece of advice? You've already given so much great advice, but what's one piece of advice we haven't already talked about?
2: Well, or old I mean, artists,
0: doesn't have to be young, Aspiring <laughs> yeah. artists.
2: You know, I feel like a lot of like nowadays, it's it's great that we have social media. You know, when I was coming up, um, there wasn't social media, everything, you know, where everyone was so separated. So now we can connect. I think, you know, you there are so many, okay. So no matter where you live, even if you are isolated, you now have the ability to reach out and connect with artists that inspire you so i do feel that trying to paint with people that you admire either by taking classes or just becoming just like connecting with them and i feel like i'm so willing you know to give advice or people start connecting with me through messaging or commenting on my work um, you start a relationship, but then you also realize, you know, it's like, I guess. So that, you know, try as much as possible to, I guess, reach out to people that you really admire. But then, um, I don't know, is that good advice, Jeff? Like, are That's you That's a crazy to-
0: good advice. In fact, that while you're talking, I'm thinking, yeah, this goes to show how lousy character I have. But I, I have to admit, I have a little, a little bit of resentment toward people who are 20 years younger than me. <laughs> because it's like, I remember being in Salt Lake going to a lousy, a lousy art department. I mean, I had some good teachers. I'm not saying that everything I had was not good. But, mm-hmm. and I think, what would it be like to be learning art today where you could access Susan Lyon on your laptop and literally talk to her face-to-face on your laptop? Like Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine in Salt Lake city 20 years ago, there was almost nothing. There was nothing except Barnes and Noble and a couple books of some obscure painters, you know, it's such a great time.
2: Is I agree with you. It is a great time. And I am feeling a change in the air. I mean, for me too, like I am just, there is something I know. Wonderful is going to happen. And I feel like, it's just about to happen. I just know it. And I, so I, I do feel like don't be scared to reach out. I think a lot of artists are willing to mentor or there's online classes or even just, you know getting advice one-on-one simple little questions like when you comment on a post like you can create a relationship with someone that you admire by just just being very supportive. I mean, if I saw somebody who was, like, just the kindest person and who would just say sweet things and just be, like, just tell me that, you know, of course I'm going to be like, well, sure, what can I, you know, you have a question? Okay. So there is, it's you know, there is this idea of just being open and not being too scared. Um, we're all human. You know, we all love connection, So don't be scared to do that. I do think somehow if you can get in, you know, Paint with others that are better than you or at least join a group. I do think that it's very hard to become excellent when you're all by yourself. I mean, it's there's miracles happen, but it's like somehow if you can get out of and you just paint with other people, the level raises. There is something about energetic and people are all trying to, you know, like get better at the same time. I think it does help each other. Um, I don't know. If I, yeah, I mean.
0: Well, and even if you are yeah. the best one in the class or in the group, yeah. everyone, Just... even a sixth grader, is going to have something to teach you. That's one thing that right. I've learned throughout my career is I, I learn from my students all the time. I learn from artists who have less experience than me all the time. It's it, mm-hmm. there's Even if you are an exceptional painter, there's something you don't know that someone else knows. And you Hopefully. don't know who that person's going to be so it's it's always i agree with you it's beneficial to be around people regardless of where you stand in the pecking order
2: yeah, nowadays if you can't travel there are so many online groups that are even free yeah. you don't have to pay there's so much stuff on youtube there's so much stuff on facebook um just be that person that also reaches out and is supportive of others you know and it will come back i mean sometimes i feel like we can feel very lonely like if we're by ourselves and you know like oh well i just don't have opportunities well be that person that brightens somebody else's day and you never know like what great connection or friendship you'll make even just online so much so don't be scared to like message somebody and just you know they say, say something beautiful to them and, and mm-hmm. i i just feel like it will never go wrong and you never know who, what will happen from it but um but yeah, I mean, I just think it's so much better now than when we had it, right? Especially oh, man, me, I'm yeah. older than you. So it's,
0: like, I know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Susan Lyon, this has been awesome. It's so great to get to know you better after all these years. I'm, thanks so much for coming on the podcast.
2: Well, should we promote that we're going to do a demo and have yes. you come to the porch?
0: Society? Or- come to the porch thanks Society. April. And I'm hoping to get the porch Society actually on the show to talk about who the faculty is soon so we'll be hopefully be announcing that soon but yeah come see you and i paint at the <laughs> porch society of america it's gonna be a blast i can't wait to see yeah. you there next spring no,
2: it, is, it, is the, it is the best conference
0: it really is it, although it, i haven't I, been to that many others i'm sort of like i have this uh i just have this weird loyalty toward the porch side of america like that's my conference <laughs> Well, and I've
2: been to a lot of them so let me tell you and it is just joyful and I think you people go there by themselves and they leave making great friends mm-hmm. because other people go there by themselves and it's I don't know like I'm getting goosebumps even a little bit because I remember when Scott and I were first asked and I don't even know what year it was but it was kind of before they started to get really big and they had asked Scott and me to come do like a lecture and Scott to do a demo. And in all honesty, we'd never even really heard of the portrait society before. It was mainly just for portrait commission people.
1: Uh-huh. It was
2: not a like huge thing that it was. So it was a small subgroup that we knew nothing about. And so in our mind, we're like, Oh, okay. So we got to drive there spend all day driving there. And we got to do this. And, you know, and it was like, we were really weighing it. Like, is this even okay? I mean, like, is it worth it? And when we went, our minds were blown. And I have never ever, I just, I tell people that story because I just was a little bit of a skeptic. Like, is this really going to be worth it for us? And then just the energy and the people that I've met and The connections and all the art, people from all over the world. So I I mean, I I should be their promoter, I guess. But I mean, it's just Hmm. I really feel that it is a great energy and um, very friendly, like very inclusive. Right. Uh Like uh it doesn't seem clicky to me. Like you go in, you can talk and sit down to someone you've never met and sit there for four hours and like and it's really like that.
0: Yeah, you don't want to sleep for four days. <laughs> you, just, you just hang out in the hotel lobby all, all night, every night. Yeah, although uh, you and I probably should sleep at least one night. I think we're doing it in the morning. I right? just sleep
1: Friday night. because yeah,
0: Friday night. Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> Friday night. All right, well, thanks again, Susan. We'll see you next spring. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends, and if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.